Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. Today on Dig It, we chat with Trevor Pfeiffer, who is the editor of Garden Trade magazine, and together with their website, publishes Garden Trade News. Trevor has his finger on the pulse of hundreds of garden centres, large and small, as well as the UK nursery growers. And we're so pleased that he's able to join us today. Hello, Trevor. Where do we find you today? Uh, I'm in, in the office today, Chris. Oh. Yeah, just in the office, catching up on on uh, on analysis of garden centre sales. Okie dokie. Uh, uh, can we put, put a, a finger where exactly your offices are? Oh, sorry. Uh, my offices are just to the east of Peterborough. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, near a village called Near a village called Thorny. Okay. Um, and my office My office is actually uh, it's actually at home. It's in, it's uh, you know in the garden at home, as it were. Oh, brilliant. Okay, that's that's very handy. <laughs> Fair <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I, I I have a I have a long journey to work every day. I was going to say it must be a really difficult commute some mornings. You know. <laughs> oh, Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so Trevor, I mean, obviously, we, we've sort of bumped into each other, you know, visiting trade shows, and obviously, you've, you've popped over to the garden centre at Buckingham here. But uh, my first question, really, we'd, we'd really like to know is how you got into journalism, into gardening journalism. Well, you know, I've been involved in magazines and newspapers uh, since. Well, since I left school, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's only in the last 35 years that I've been involved in gardening magazines. Uh, and only the last 15 years that I've actually been doing any gardening journalism. Oh, right. Um, because when I first started out in magazines, I was I sold advertising space. Okay. And, uh, and in those days, you were told if you sold advertising space, you could never be a journalist. <laughs> really? Oh. <laughs> Well, they got that wrong, didn't they? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, I, so I've been involved in the business side of gardening magazines. I, I published the Garden Magazine for the RHS. I published Garden News. You might remember a mm. magazine called Practical Gardening. I do. That was, was, uh, was a big seller in the past. Mm. And a magazine called Garden Answers. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And and one of the first magazines I got involved in running the business side of was Garden Trade News, actually. Okay. Um, but it was only when I left uh, my publisher and set up my own business that we eventually managed to uh, acquire Garden Trade News, uh, which was about uh, 15 to 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I started doing some journalism. <laughs> because when you run when you when you run a small business on your own, you kind of have to do a bit of everything. Yeah, de- definitely multitasking. Yeah. Um, just going back to, yeah. I'm just fascinating. Obviously, practical gardening. Now that that magazine, uh, when I was growing up, was you know the go to monthly magazine, wasn't it? And that was was it. Jeff Hamilton yeah. was heavily involved in that. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Hamilton was involved. That's before my time. The yeah. editor when I first got involved in was a gentleman by the name of Mike Wyatt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who was editing it. I think he took over from Jeff. Um, but it was, that was the market leading gardening magazine. It was great. Um, yeah. But then uh, along along came the BBC with BBC Gardeners World magazine mm-hmm. and everything changed. It did, yes. <laughs> yes, as, as so many things do when it comes to the BBC. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's absolutely fascinating. And, so, obviously, you, you you're working on on a, on a magazine which is online and in print. Um, so, can yeah. you sort of sort of paint a picture of your your typical working day, uh, Trevor? Cool. Uh, I don't have a typical working day. I may I have a typical working week mm. kind of thing. Okay. Because because on days like today, where I'm doing um, analysis of garden centre sales, as very much in the office uh, analysing data. Uh, and, and pulling together what we'll talk about probably later on in the bestsellers mm. charts. But then other days I'll be out on the road visiting garden centres and visiting businesses that supply to garden centres, interviewing people, compiling stories, taking photographs, mm-hmm. uh, maybe for one or two days a week, and then the rest of the week is spent writing that up. Of course. Um, because, you know, uh, writing that up and then creating the magazine and creating the email newsletter that we send out. Yes, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, publishing and 
well, <clears throat> journalism as well has, has moved on so much over the last few years, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, now one person can go and take photographs, record an interview, write it up. I actually do have other people that help me with the writing up mm-hmm. um, because there'd be, if I tried to do it all myself, we, we'd never get the magazine published. <laughs> um, but uh, And uh, it's quite interesting with our email newsletter uh, that we publish every, every week, but we also do it more often if something happens that we need to report on. Um, when we've started doing that, which was probably about 15 years ago as well, everybody told me that we couldn't do it because there wasn't enough news to report on in the garden. Industry. Really? For us to have, a, for us to have a, a, a magazine that published every week. And, um, well, mm. that's not the case. No. <laughs> There's plenty, plenty going on. Plenty going on in the yeah. industry. Yeah. And do, do you think that's the, it's the immediacy, isn't it, of what you can bring to... To, you know, to your audience, isn't it? You know, you know, printed magazine has a obviously yeah. a leading time of you know probably what a nearly nearly a, well at least four or five days, doesn't it? From from being the final sort of proofreading to to being printed to being sent out. Whereas obviously a, an e letter, effectively, you can do within just a matter of hours. Uh, yeah, I, we can. If something breaks, if there's a big story that we need to get out, we can get out of that that out within minutes. Actually, mm. um, out to people. And I'd say that the internet has, has the internet has changed the way we publish, in particular, in the sense that we now uh, do that the things we do in print we wouldn't do on the internet. So okay. we try to use the print for longer interviews, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you, and, and compiling a number of things together for our readers. Whereas the internet is just you know short, sharp stories. That, that people want to dip in and dip out of. Yeah. It's it's really quite interesting. It's really it's helped actually. I think I think it's helped get get clarity on what material is right for the magazine versus what we use the internet for. Mm, yeah, I can I can see exactly where you're going, and I think that's and I suppose we're, we're all as 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 consumers as users of of, of the the, you know, the world wide web. We're all in that sort of mind frame that we get these nuggets of news, don't we now? Which we can analyse, and if, yeah. we, if we need to find out more, there's plenty of you know good resources out there to do that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's true. I mean, do you think that 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 so you really that has widened your your audience to to your magazine through the internet? Yes, I think we do get a wider uh, a wider audience, in particular because people can just find it without us having to email the content to them. Mm-hmm. And there are times when our readership readership numbers really peak if there's a story gone out there that, that, that has wider interest so yeah i without a doubt it has widened the scope and the readership of, of garden trade news but you must remember you know we are a we're not looking for a huge in, uh, audience particularly we're just looking for the right people the people who are involved in gardens garden center retailing and their suppliers to be reading it because that that's our target market so yeah and i think you know reading both the, both the printed and the online that helps me so much even you know when, when we're talking to our customers on the day-to-day basis because we've got a bit of a handle on what's happening out there um whether it's you yeah. know you know the peak debate or sustainability or obviously you know recent news you know which we've had to obviously break over the over the last obviously few weeks with uh uh, the death of the Queen, where you know you want to know what other yeah. garden centres uh, were doing and and how it was all handled. So I think for that reason, yeah. it, it certainly helps the the retailers' point of view with the, with their customers. Talking about sort of stories, um, can I ask Trevor what is in your your journalistic capacity at the magazine? What's the sort of biggest ever breaking story have you have you brought? I guess the biggest ever breaking news story we broke was. <laughs> When uh, Wyvale, when all the Wyvale garden centres were being sold off. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that that gave that gave Garden Trade News the biggest consistently high opening rate and readership as people followed that story. And quite often, we were lucky that we were able to break the news that a certain group of garden, you know, batch of garden mm-hmm. centres had been sold off before other people, mm-hmm. um, before other magazines did. So, so that that probably has to go down as our our biggest ever breaking news story. Sadly, the the next probably most recent 
biggest ever breaking news story was the, the sad death of Peter Seabrook. Of course. Um, which took us all by huge surprise. But yeah, that was that was a big breaking news story when we had learned that and, and had to put that news out there. So Yes, indeed. And uh, obviously Peter was a, a major, you know, figure in the in the horticultural trade, as we know, uh, from his 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 podcast, which was very well subscribed to to obviously his, his wonderful writings in in lots of the gardening trade journals and obviously in the in the consumer magazine world as well yeah yeah, yeah. No, he was a huge advocate for gardening in the garden industry huge supporter of everything that we did and uh, he was quite interesting because although he he worked for a competitor magazine's garden trade news mm-hmm. he was always helpful yeah he always helped to me uh if ever I needed any advice, I could always pick up the phone and have a chat with Peter, and uh, he'd be more than happy to help me. So, yeah, he was a wonderful person. Very much so. Yes, yeah, sadly missed by us all. And I think uh, his legacy continues, though, doesn't it? Because I know, um, and I've seen some news reports of obviously the uh, uh, the David Colgrave um, Foundation that's had a, an endorsement now, isn't it? From from um, I think it's, it's Alan Titchmarsh's now sort of mustered in as the as the, the patron uh, or the, the yeah, main person. That's right. And uh, and we've got it. We're getting a lovely new sweet pea variety this this autumn uh, being released as well. And I think we're even getting a rose next year uh, with, with with Peter's name attached. So he he lives on. He will live on in our gardens as well as in, as well as in our, our hearts. I'm sure. He certainly will do. Um. Trevor, one thing I was going to say is, you, you know, you've, you've obviously, uh, you're talking about Peter Seabrook, you must have obviously interviewed some really big names in the in the gardening world, in, you know, in the, the consumer world. Um, who sort of stands out as one of your highlights? Well, you see, I've not, I've not interviewed many gardening personalities in, in consumer world mm. because uh, most, of the, most of the people I interview are people that run garden centres. Okay. Or, um, you know, so... I mean, a, a highlight, I would say, is um, Guy Topping from Barton Grange Garden Centre was a very interesting interview, okay. uh, especially the way, he, the way he's developed that garden centre because it now not only has a garden, it's not only a, a very big and successful garden centre, it has a, a marina mm-hmm. uh, on the canal for, um, for, for long boats, narrow boats and things like that, but also has a, an entertainment complex on site called the Flower Bowl. Uh, it was very interesting interviewing him with with how he saw the development of his business and and his his consumers, his customers. That's, that's so, really, uh, yeah. I was going to say that's really interesting because yeah. in my in my college days, I I went to to Mysco College up in Lancashire. Now we used yeah. to, we used to visit the original uh, Barton Grange with the, the late and great Eddie Topping. That was obviously uh, yes. his, his dad and. Uh, we always, obviously, as students, we, we sort of gleaned that this was a garden centre to look at and watch and observe because they were doing sort of so many things right. So, yeah, um, the legacy obviously continues, doesn't it, in this 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 new well, garden centre? Uh, uh, if, if any of your listeners and, and your customers mm. are in that part of Lancashire mm-hmm. uh, on their way up to the Lake District, I, you know, do stop off at Barton Grange because you can go and look around a great garden centre, but also you can go to the cinema. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, you know, because they have a, a four-screen, uh, three or four-screen cinema uh, in the in the leisure complex. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. and, it, and it and it's what what interests me is that I have this thing about um, people that run garden centres as well that come from a horticultural background have this innate sense of nurture, mm. and because you have to have a good sense of nurture to sell plants, because you can't sell dead plants. They've got to, plants have got to be good. Um, and where people apply that sense of nurture to other things that they do, they tend to do it better than other people do. And if you, you know, if you look around any really good plant centre, garden centre, you'll find that they serve good coffee, they sell great gifts. And at Barton Grange, the the way they've set their leisure complex up is just the, the attention to detail is stunning. Yeah. You know, it really, really does make you feel like you've you've had a really great time when you've been there. Yeah, and that's what it's all about now, isn't it? This 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 term. I know we yeah. we use it destination garden centre. Well, if it ticks all the boxes, then surely it's doing a it's doing its job, isn't it? And and, and some more. Perhaps. Well, yeah, I, I, I think it's more than just a, a des, a bit being a destination. It needs to be a memorable 
destination. True. If, 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 you, if somebody goes to a garden centre and has a memorable experience, mm-hmm. chances are they'll come back. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what we need. We need people to come back more often. And we need people to tell other people that they've had a great experience. Yeah. And I think that's probably more true now with uh, obviously a lot of new gardens, uh, sorry, new gardeners coming on the, the, the scene. Obviously after the pandemic, I mean, I think HTA reckon is it two or three million new gardeners we've, we've, we've sort of developed over the last few years. And they need to yeah. have a, a sense of purpose that where they're going for their advice, their plants, uh, they want to, you know, they want a, you know, a good time. They want to be entertained as well as perhaps educated too. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but it, but that's interesting as well because they do have a slightly the, the new gardeners. Uh, you know, all the research tells us they do have a slightly different outlook on life. Mm-hmm. So therefore, um, good garden centres, and I'm sure you're doing this at Buckingham, um, need to. You just need to pro, um, merchandise things and present things in a slightly different way mm-hmm. to make sure that people understand and, and get it. So I think I think there's I think there's quite a bit of change to come in garden centre retailing, just to keep it very relevant to to the new gardeners and make sure that they they enjoy it and come back. Mm. And from from what I gather, they are and, mm. and looking at sales figures, they are. That's good. Um, but I just think we need to have a, an eye on that going forward. You know? Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's how it's presented, isn't it? And we we assume it, when we're in the garden centre world that we you know people know stuff and actually it's, it's sometimes breaking things down into the components and the ingredients just like you know doing a you know like watching bake off at the moment and watching how something's created um you know gardening is much the same isn't it you've got to look at the what you need to do to get the end result yeah. and sometimes that means sort of stepping yeah. back which can be when you're in the, in the thick of it uh, in, in the garden center world, probably much more difficult than perhaps uh, we, we tend to think i don't know um trevor what uh, when I was putting these questions, these questions together, I just wondered, you know, what was the the best part of of your or your job working yeah. on GTN? Well, I think the best part of my job is when I get to present awards to people. There's two 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 lots of awards that we we do. One is we do the new product awards at Glee, mm-hmm. um, which is a Glee for your readers. So that's our major industry trade show, okay. and we run the new product awards, and I get to present those on stage. So that's really good fun, and you know the suppliers that win are very happy. But probably the better, even better than that is when we do our greatest awards, where we we go out and we you know, garden centre teams are nominated in various categories, and we're just starting to work on our Christmas awards at the moment. So the winning garden centre Christmas garden centre Christmas teams, uh, when they receive awards, they are so pleased. It's just wonderful. And uh, I, I love that. I really love that part of the job. <laughs> it sounds good. Yes. So, and, and it's great. It's great actually just going out and meeting the teams in the garden centres when they've been nominated, because just actually telling them they've been nominated and getting them together for a photograph and listening to what they do, uh, it's just just wonderful to hear yeah. all these great stories about you know great teams of people doing great things. Yeah, I'm mean, sure that must help everybody's morale as well, If especially when, as we know, it's, it can be quite, uh, it's quite, well, it is hard work putting a, a wonderful display together and it takes a lot of preparation time. There's probably a lot of heartache going through how you're going to set up your displays and things and uh, to get some sort of recognition at the end of the day, you know, that's what it's about, isn't it? And being part of a team yeah. helps that, that process. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, and I think, I think I think the teams that are most enthusiastic, well, Christmas display teams are really enthusiastic, mm-hmm. but Christmas grotto teams are even more enthusiastic <laughs> to win. Right. <laughs> Not competitive anyway, are they? <laughs> no, but they all do such a great job. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if you want an example of how a garden, mm. how garden centres can take a sense of nurture and turn that into a really good grotto experience, there's a garden centre I know of in, near the borders of Scotland, mm-hmm. um, who um, they have a very simple grotto. It's Santa just sitting in there at what's, what's usually a garden shed. Mm-hmm. But everybody everybody that books up to go and see Santa, the garden centre phones the parents a few days before their visit to Santa to find out what the little child has been doing. Oh, I see. And, uh, and uh, so Santa can 
can comment on whether the, the boy or girl has been playing football at the weekend or what they've been doing at school. Oh. Um, now, you know, maybe mm. maybe that bit should be cut out of a, if this is going out on consumers because we don't want children to know this. No, 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 <laughs> of course, no, of course. It's just it's just an example of yeah. of how you know mm. only a guy that cares about plants and cares about things that much will yeah. come up with an idea and, yeah. and go to the effort of doing I, that that sort of thing. I love the, I love the idea of parental intelligence. That sounds so so good. <laughs> so, so yeah, Okay, so um, my next question really is: uh, Do you have any sort of garden trade sort of heroes? I mean, we're talking about heroes from from the the, the world of journalism, but. Um, what about the, the the heroes from the trade? Obviously, you mentioned the the wonderful Topping family. Um, anybody else sort of springs to mind? Wow, garden trade heroes. Um, uh, I'm, Mike Burks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably wouldn't want me to know think that he's a hero of mine, but I, he's a hero in the sense that they run garden centres down in Dorset, mm-hmm. and uh, they just have this real sense of team. Uh, it's the best sense of team I've ever seen at any garden garden centre business, uh, to the extent where every morning at 10 o'clock um, and every afternoon at 4 o'clock, they all gather in the plant area to have a tea break. Oh and this God. great big teapot of tea comes out and all the mugs and everybody <laughs> at some point, obviously they have to do a bit of rotor, but everybody gathers around the teapot out in the, outside in the oh. plant area wow. um, to have a, have a cup of tea. And so it enables them to do communication, mm-hmm. enables them to do, you know, motivation stuff. Just everybody gets to have a cup of tea out in the plant area. And I just think, what, what a great thing to do. It is. That sounds <laughs> I mean, really good. They've, they've, they've been doing it for years. And uh, uh, I would say that makes makes him a hero to me because he just clearly gets it and understands mm. that actually yeah. his people are really, really important. Yeah. And, and getting them together in a very probably more informal way uh, once a week is is a good way of, you know, just. Getting... Oh no, it's not once a week. No, it's twice a day. Twice every a day. day. Oh wow! Even, every even at weekends. Goodness me! Oh, <laughs> oh every, it's tea break. Oh yes. If you're ever down that way, Chris, make sure you <laughs> arrive around ten o'clock. Or four o'clock, so you can join in, join in the staff tea break. <laughs> I'm on my way after, after recording this, Trevor. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> sounds great. Wow. Okay, that's that's amazing. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay. Obviously, these you know these garden heroes obviously push the you know the business in a very positive way. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously, we we are in funny times at the moment. We obviously we've just come through a pandemic. I mean, do you see? Do you see a lot of positivity from from the you know the gardening trade on 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 what's what's sort of lying ahead for us? Oh well, that's really interesting because we've just had the HTA conference where the theme of the conference was horticulture twenty thirty, mm-hmm. and and we had a few people paint some very pessimistic pictures of what things could be like in twenty thirty. <laughs> Great, <laughs> um, especially the econom- economist. <laughs> um, uh, and Simon Reeve, the TV uh, journalist mm-hmm. uh, documentary, he, he said we need a dose of pessimism um, going forward, uh, mainly to do with climate change. Mm. But it's really interesting because actually everybody, are, are, this is this is my personal view, everybody who's involved in our industry actually tends to be quite optimistic. Mm. Uh, and it's because we grow plants. And if you plant a bulb, you have to be, you plant it with the optimism that it's going to bloom into a daffodil or a tulip. Indeed. Um, so, so I think the whole, you know, if, if you're involved in gardening, you are, you, you are by nature optimistic because, you know, you, you're doing something constructive and something grows. Sure. So I think that, so, so for as many people as, you know, there were lots of people at conference saying, yes, okay, but, but if it's a recession, people will still garden. We've been through recessions before and, gardening's done okay um and i would say that just just from what i see in my best sellers data in terms of volume of products sold and gardening activity you know it's it's still big people are doing it and you know those three million new gardeners aren't all going to give up on gardening it's kind of like if if 
you know, if you've started doing something in your garden, you're not all of a sudden going to leave it and to let it go to rack and ruin, are you? You're going to keep moving it on. Um, and I, uh, I, th- I actually think Christmas won't be as bad as some people are maybe paint- painting it out to be no. uh, in garden centres. I think, I think people will want a bit of cheer. Indeed, uh, we might sell we might sell more battery powered Christmas lights this year rather than plug-in Christmas lights. Yeah, yep. um, but you know, I think that people will go out and buy Christmas trees still uh, because they'll want to decorate and give themselves some cheer through the middle of the winter. For sure, no, I quite agree. I think I was I was sort of certainly I remember in, obviously in the the nineteen eighties when we had sort of a bad time and I was in the, the garden centre world up 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 in the northwest. Um, you know, I I, I always contended that to enjoy gardening you don't have to spend a lot of money. You know, and if you're saying if that's buying no. a bag of tulips or a packet of seeds. That's the thing. You, you you continue to do what you do in the garden. All right, you might not, you know, buy a you know a very expensive set of garden furniture, or you may delay buying, you know, a nice garden building. But perhaps for the day to day stuff, for you, for your compost, for your your fertilizers, you don't have to invest an awful lot of money to get a lot of return, a lot of interest and relaxation and fun from your garden. No. No, and, and when it comes to visiting garden centres, providing garden centres continue to deliver, to serve great coffee, great tea, yep. and great food, then then that will keep them busy. You they know, did. so you know, I I, I think you know, garden centres have got so much going for them. Um, it, it yes, it will be tougher next mm. year and through this winter for certain. Yes. But um, it, it's not time to be packing up and going home. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not, Trevor. <laughs> Trevor, you you, you, chatted, you alluded to your, your your garden trade news bestsellers. So, can you tell us a little bit about it? Obviously, we've got a lot of people listening to to dig it who are obviously keen gardeners. What sort of information does that sort of feedback to them indirectly? Yeah, well, it's all indirect. So, so. The idea is to have uh, have charts of what sells most in garden centres, mm-hmm. a bit like the old uh, record charts. Um, and so we collate data from a number of garden centres every week okay. and produce produce bestsellers charts. Um, and how that helps customers? Well, it helps customers because it keeps garden centres finger on the pulse as to know knowing what's selling most so they can make sure they've got it stocked. Mm. Um, and also it maybe helps customers in terms of there's a bit of a lead, lead lag time on it. So we produce a plant chart every week where we we list the, the most popular um, group, genus or group of plants that sold each week. And when we first started doing that, a direct result of that was one garden centre told me that as a result of that, they decided to start to bring in and start selling their poinsettias okay. earlier, two weeks earlier in future, because they'd seen other people were selling them in, okay. our, in our data. Mm-hmm. So, so that that's good. And I'm not quite sure how it's going to affect, but this year, um, this, during this summer, we had three weeks, I think it was, where petunias outsold zonal geraniums. Really? Now that that hasn't happened in all the time I've been doing the bestsellers analysis, mm. and we're trying to get to the bottom of why. Um, some somebody suggested it might be because people wanted the blue to go in uh, red, white, and blue displays because of the jubilee. Of course. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. it, but other people suggested it could just be because the um, the, the number of varieties are so high. Mm-hmm. Uh, petunias that there's yep. so much choice around at the moment but just you know not quite just don't quite know what um what yeah. that's what that's all about but and it, it will be interesting to see whether it happens again next year sure whether it was just a blip because of uh yes, yes. seasonal or, or celebrationary times maybe yes that's thing as well yes. yeah yeah okay um yeah so, on, on going back to the, the the products, then there's obviously plenty of new things coming onto the gardening trade, and and I suppose over the years, Trevor, you've you've seen obviously lots of sort of standout innovation uh, come and go. Perhaps I don't know. Um, from your 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 observations, is there anything there sort of followed any sort of trends or you know something which you can think might actually sort of sit uh, popular there? 
Well, I suppose actually a, a while back, garden lighting, a few, a few, several years back, garden we saw the rise of garden lighting mm. sales, uh, which tailed off actually um, in 2019 and through the pandemic. Um, and it's only just this last summer that garden lighting has really started to sell again in big numbers. Okay. Um, uh, it's one of those products, I think it started selling in the early uh, 2011, 2012, mm -hmm. because it was coming in at a really good price point for people and people were picking it up almost as a disposable yeah. item. Mm -hmm. And and interestingly, during this summer, a number of lines went on sale at very good promotional prices. So. Right. So it may well be that the garden lighting is, is very much a pick up and yeah so, and, and buy line and not worry about how long it's going to last. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I think maybe as well the tech, the, the sort of the technology on those sort of products as well is 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 improving all the time as well, isn't it? You know, the extra luminance. Yeah, or, uh, yeah. So that might yeah. that might be a reason people probably hold yeah. on to them. And, to uh, the... uh, and it may well be that they didn't sell so well during this summer just because the weather was so good and you people spent time outside but they didn't need lights and it wasn't yeah. until the night started drawing in but that is not what we saw back in um 2011 2012 when people it was being sold all year round uh, in garden products so yeah. um so one interesting thing is it's because we do a, a chart of veg to grow products mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um that that really has followed the growth in people planting seed potatoes um, right. to have a crop at Christmas. Okay. Um, that That is something that has grown over the years, over the last, um, what, 10 years, 10, 12 years. That's so interesting. That, that's, that's an interesting area. Yeah. We, we um, certainly, Trevor, at the garden centre here, we, we sold out, I think, two or three weeks ago. Um, yeah, much earlier yeah. than the normal, because sometimes we, we'd have a few packs left over, but no, through online and obviously... Our garden centre customers coming in, um, and they've had they've had good experiences. You know, anecdotally talking to customers, yeah. it's worked well for them. I think last year's mild winter would have would certainly have helped uh, that that factor as well. So uh, that's good. I was say, but back in uh, when we started doing bestsellers, those also autumn planting seed potatoes weren't available. Ah, so okay. you know, it is it is a it is a fairly recent thing that they they've become widely available. Um, as far as I as far as I'm aware, Adam Taylor may correct me on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think going back when I was doing a little bit of research uh, many years ago, I think the the um, shall we say the more specialist seed companies, people like Marshalls, Unwins, who were around at the time, they offered them through their uh, their catalogues, but they were yes. sort of sold through the through the garden centre, and it's obviously tailors have uh, obviously. Uh, looked at that market and and seized it with uh with with uh, with good results which is which is great yeah i'm just trying to think of other things um when we first started doing our bestsellers charts we were amazed to find that at that time the best-selling product was an orchid drip feeder okay because our analysis is done by volume numbers of items sold rather than by value and um the orchid drip feeders all of a sudden nobody realized how important they were and how much they were selling they don't sell so many now and i i'm not sure whether that's just because people are not pushing them as as well or whether customers have moved on from drip feeders to actually orchid feed and uh, you know just they've just become more sophisticated i think you uh, yeah i think you're quite right i think that the sort of specialist um, orchid products out there from people like grove technology you know niche uh, orchid products have mm. uh, been put under 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 the noses of customers, you know, and of course, that's they say, you know, in the moth orchid now, Phalaenopsis is, is is the best selling flowering houseplant, isn't it, by far? And, yes. I suppose, and I suppose people want to get the best from those plants, so they're probably seeking out slightly more, um, you say, niche products to to ensure that their plants do well. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I think yeah. the the, the poinsettia dripper as well. I think that's another one we we tend to sort of sell quite a lot of the uh, i think it's the phyto dripper which always seems to sell well and that's in the same sort of marketplaces i suppose as that orchid uh, one you, you you mentioned well yeah, the, the phyto orchid, mm. orchid drip feeder was the first one that we mm. we highlighted as being a bestseller at uh -huh. the time i remember people vehemently saying no it's not 
And eventually people realised because, mm. uh, because yes, because several people who said it wasn't started doing their own version of drip feeder because they realised there was big sales. <laughs> there we go. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Um, Trevor, there's obviously many sort of major issues sort of facing gardeners and, and the gardening trade at the moment, you know, from recycling to peat-based compost, the debates, you know, continue. Is this a subject that, you know, garden trade trade news takes particularly seriously? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's our job to communicate to the garden centres what's going on and what's upcoming in terms of sustainability uh, issues and and on the peat debate, um, on the peat debate, we had quite an interesting situation because we had a number of our readers saying, well, we just don't understand why, why is peat a problem? So we had to do some thorough um, analysis to explain to people why the, the, what the peat, peat issue was, um, um, you know, why it was being needed to be taken seriously. And, and, and actually now, now that the, I, mean, I think the government were always going to ban peat because the environmental lobbyists had, uh, had won that won mm. that debate. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue now that the industry is going to have to solve, and and indeed gardeners are going to have, to, we're going to have to help gardeners with, is is there enough other material that's good enough to do the same job as peat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 if there is. How much is it going to cost, and will people still afford? Will still be happy to afford it? Yes, I... because without a doubt, without a doubt, growing media is going to go up in price. And and we, we've seen that already, haven't we? I mean, it's already since the pandemic. Um, you know, compost of all persuasions have, have increased. You know, quite quite dramatically. Yeah. We've got yeah. the multi buys of. Has sort of disappeared, um, and uh, but I suppose I mean the, the sort of the, the, the radical change, obviously last December, that um, people like Dobby's and um, and I think I think it was B and Q and and Homebase, they made a big decision to completely get rid of their peat based products overnight, yeah. didn't they? I mean it was quite, yeah. I think that was quite a shock yeah. to a lot of gardeners, uh, to say the least, and certainly we got a lot of people at the garden centre here saying. You know, are you going to be doing the same? You know, gosh, what what are we going to do? Because we've never ventured into the world of a, a, a peat-free compost. Yeah. Uh, well, but the whole thing's quite interesting, isn't it? Because if you go back to the sixties, the fifties and sixties, peat wasn't used as a growing media. It back back along. Mm. Um, plants were grown in soil, <laughs> and, and it was only when and there are people who I've I've spoken to. Um, uh, Paul Cooling at Cooling's Nurseries remembers his father being involved in the trials of peat as a growing media. Okay. Um, so, so we've been through this whole thing before. The trouble is we've probably not got enough time to trial enough other mediums to replace mm. peat. Indeed. Um, properly. <clears throat> I personally think that the, the best way that the industry could solve people's problems is to stop selling multipurpose compost mm. okay. and sell compost for... Um, that's manufactured for a specific uh, purpose. Yep. Um, because, uh, I mean, if people are buying multi-purpose compost and digging it into their garden, into their allotment or into their bed, that's just not good. They should be using a soil conditioner for that. Indeed. Um, you know, but I, I think increasingly the suppliers will 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 be able to produce compost that, that does a particular job because they'll put certain additives into it to, to make it work. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, a compost that's going to go in a container needs to have a way of retaining water mm-hmm. um, because none of the existing um, peat-free alternatives retain water as well as peat. Indeed. But somebody's going to have to develop that yeah. because otherwise everybody's going to be using far too much water to keep their plants alive. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, catch-22, isn't it, really? Yes. Well, West, Westland have got close to it this year with their plant food that they launched called Boost, mm-hmm. um, which which has a water retention additive, so it's mm-hmm. it makes the water and the feed sticky. Yep. It sticks to the roots, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can almost sell that with every bag of peat-free compost. <laughs> yes. But I, I, the, the next development will be somebody will create a compost with that kind of technology built yeah. into it, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and, but then, so 
but I really do think we ought to consider stop selling multi-purpose compost because I, I don't think there will be a peat-free compost that you can use for every single, every single use. You yes. know, it's uh, <laughs> it just peat. Peat you could do peat as a multi-purpose compost because you could use peat. It peat worked in almost every situation, but uh, the new the new ones I don't think will. Okay. I, I, I'm not I'm not horticulturalist, so I'm I'm not eminently qualified to comment on that. But I kind of just know from what we use in our own garden. Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely yeah, Trevor, you're absolutely right. And certainly, the feedback we get from our customers is the fact that they just don't get the product. They just don't understand it. Uh, it's quite mm-hmm. alien to them. Uh, it doesn't react and it doesn't work as Pete did. And the thing is, they, the manufacturers could make so much more information of that available actually even on the on the packaging just to explain about the watering regimes that you have to give it more water, for example. So there's lots of yeah. things the, the manufacturers could do literally overnight to, to make it. But I, I think I, I would go, go along with your, your rationale about uh, multi-purpose. I think, yes, it's big. It was, it was a, a product which came out of convenience, but actually now the convenience is the fact that we've got to find the right product to do the job, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. I, I'm, I'm, watering is going to be mm. a big, big issue going forward. As a, as a result of that for people so but that then there's an opportunity for watering products so there, there, there's two ways of looking at the peat thing either it's a terrible thing that's going to drive us all, all to stop gardening or we we look at it as an opportunity indeed um, to develop new products and develop new techniques so that people can enjoy their gardening all the more yeah and um, i know i know which uh, and i'm I'm backing. Yeah, and I think garden centres are already realising that you know the you know the palette of plants we start to offer might have to change. We 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 realise that, but uh, you've got to get a sense of priority here. You know, we've we've you know we've had obviously a couple of years of very dry weather. Who knows what this winter is going to bring? Um, You know, when you look at the Met Office figures, they always say after very hot summers, you usually get quite a cold winter. So, you know, and it could be cold and wet, you know, incredibly wet. So we have to we have to be preparing for that. Um, So really global warming, do you think that's going to be a factor to put put in the frame for for the gardening trade? Oh, oh, uh, uh, undoubtedly, I think we, you know, we will start selling more plants that are, you know, suitable for a warmer climate. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure it will have something to do. And I think the whole sustainability thing mm. linked into that I, I think people will go to a garden center increasingly expecting it to be a sustainable business indeed um, yeah. i think they will expect to go to a garden center and if they're driving an electric car they'll want to be able to plug it in of course. and charge it indeed um you know that's not necessarily an easy thing for every garden center to do because they're in rural locations and maybe don't have the supply available but um mm. but that you know i I think if somebody gets some advice from somebody in a garden centre, they will expect that advice to be yeah. sustainable advice. Of course. Except it may well be, well, yes, but if you really want to get rid of weeds, you need to use this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just it's, that, that it's not, that's not the sustainable option. If you, do you know what I mean? I know exactly, yes. Kind of, they, they will expect, to, they expect garden centres to have that answer and that knowledge. Uh, um, but you know, nature is an amazing thing, isn't it? Because I can remember looking at our apple, apples on our apple tree um, in the really hot summer, thinking we're not going to have any apples this year. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And actually, we're ended up. We've got a huge crop of the most wonderful tasting apples this year, um, and they're all and and they grow they they're growing to their normal size as well. Indeed. Just... Nature. <laughs> Nature is full of surprises. <laughs> yeah. Well, the things yeah. that, and we've just got to get things to planting. I suppose one thing that, that's interesting that we need to think about is an awful lot of people, especially during the pandemic, have gardened by planting containers, planting plants in containers. Mm-hmm. And that, that's an interesting thing because if you've got plants in containers, that's very, can become very work intensive and labor intensive. Um, and, and planting containers is very much, you know, can be a victim of the climate and of long, hot summers. Whereas if you've got things planted in the ground, mm-hmm. then they've got a chance to build up a huge, really good root system. Yes, yes. You know, 
<laughs> and I guess I just know that because all of our tree, our hedges have grown, have put on enormous growth this Indeed. year. Because they've got good root systems and, you know, and, and they search out moisture, don't they? At the end of the day, that's the thing you yeah, do a container. Yeah. They're restricted. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Trevor, the the trade shows obviously are you know important for the gardening trade. Obviously, they, they introduce lots of new products which tempt all our customers at, at garden centres. And of course, they're now returning after the after the break of the pandemic. Um, how important do you think these these trade shows are these days? I mean, is it, are they as as crucial with with information being available online? Oh, I think they're vitally important mm-hmm. um, because they're a chance for for a garden centre to go to a show, uh, go to one place and see a whole range of products, compare like for like products mm-hmm. versus a competitor, um, to actually pick it up build the product, see how it works. Um, no, I, I think I think trade shows are, are vital. They may never be as big as they were in the past, mm-hmm. but in a way, um, that's not such a bad thing because when you have go to a trade show with 500 exhibitors, you, you can't go and see 500 exhibitors no. even in two or three days. You can't, just because it's impossible. So um, I, I don't see, if they're a bit smaller, I don't see that's a problem. But um, uh, I, I think the initial thing about the pandemic is people thought oh yes we can do zoom meetings instead and we don't do the traveling but then people realized yes but i do need to go to the showroom because i actually need to find out more about these products yeah and they ended up doing miles and miles and miles visiting lots of different showrooms mm. um, and so actually a trade show in one place where, where all these people gather in one place of course yeah, um, more it, it's, a, it's a good idea yeah whether or not there's too many trade shows, that's another question. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's another day, perhaps. Yeah. Another day, yeah. <laughs> Trevor, the, you know, we, we do like to do a bit of a crystal ball gazing. You know, how do you see the, you know, the world of, of the garden centre and garden centre retailing develop over, say, the next 10 years? I think garden centres have taken over the position of the department store on the high street. And... Um, they're in such a good place because they have plenty of parking and people can get there and enjoy. And um, and the other thing about garden centres is that in the main, they're all different. You know, you, you go from one garden centre to another garden centre and you see, might be see some of the same products, but you will see it presented in a different way. And you haven't got the homogenous, the boring homogenous retailing that you've got on the high street. Yeah. Um, so I, I think garden centres are... Uh, will be as resilient as everything. And, and, and part of that is because we sell plants and we sell plants well. And plants grow and plants die. And yeah. it's a seasonal business. And we're very good at it. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. Garden centres, I like in garden centres, well, because garden centres sell lots of plants, so they have lots of lines, lots of individual skews, as they're called, mm-hmm. um, in, in stock lines. And they cope with that very, very well. And so, therefore, when they do Christmas, they're also happy to have lots of skews. Um, and when they do other things, so like to have lots of drinks, which gives people lots of choice. Mm. Whereas high street retailers don't like lots of product lines. They like to keep their product range small and so they can manage it easier. That's true. Um, yes. And negotiate harder with suppliers. And... Yeah, if garden centres all start going down high street rule route of managing their number of SKUs down, well, they won't do very well because they'll go the same way as all other routes are. But I just don't see garden centres doing it because we can't do that with plants, can we? You no, can't, we can't. You no. can't have a restricted library of plants. No. Because you, won't, you just won't sell any because you, yeah. you've got to have the choice for people, yeah. haven't you? And, and that choice has been really tricky these last couple of years to to keep momentum there because there hasn't been the plants yes. around, which has been a obviously a nightmare for a lot of, of our customers who've you know been fretting that we yeah. we can't find things. Do you think that sort of progression over the next few years is going to involve more technology? More technology. I think garden centres are learning how to use the internet as a way of of letting people know what's what's available mm-hmm. in store, mm-hmm. um, and some of them are have developed very good online sales operations with local deliveries which seem to be working well um there seems to be a question mark over online garden centers full stop 
because uh, one went out of business just recently, I think. Um, I, I, you know, I think I do think garden centres are, are in a great place because people want to go and touch a plant, see a plant. Uh, yes. You know, you want you want to actually choose the best one from Good. what you can buy, don't you? We do. That's yes. part of the experience, most definitely. So, um, yeah, I think technology. Uh, yeah, technology is bound to play a part because it does in everything. But exactly, I mean, uh, and there's lots of lots of apps now, aren't there, where you can find out more information about a plant. Indeed. But yeah. you, but you know, I think the strong thing about a garden centre is you can go to a garden centre and you can ask a person Indeed. about the plants yeah. and get an answer. I think, uh, yeah, lo- lo- location-wise, I mean, local. Having the local knowledge as well certainly helps, especially a new gardener coming yeah. to an area, a new new build garden, or completely new to gardening as well. You can say, well, you know, these this this is the list of plants which will do well in, you know, Buckingham clay soil, and you know, you can give people a, a list and they can go away with that knowledge which you you know, as 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 garden centre like as ourselves have built up over the last sort of fifty years. You you get to know your yeah. your soil, you get to know your plants, therefore you get to know your customers, I suppose. And, and I bet you, if we did some research into sources of garden information, I bet you sources of information from a garden centre would be one of the most trusted bits mm. of retail information. I would, I would hope because so. Because if yeah. somebody were, well, but if somebody, if, if you ask somebody in a garden centre which weed killer is best for for X, you know, problem, and they give you an answer, and you go and buy it, well, you know, you you just. Gonna do, I just don't think you're going to ignore it, are you? That, you're, you're not, not going to ignore that advice, and, and the chances are it's going to be right. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're, we're very interesting. When, when just just as a side, when I very first started working in gardening magazines, we did some research that proved the the most the, big, the biggest influencer of gardening at the time. But this was must remember this is in the eighties, uh, late eighties. Mm-hmm. Was word of mouth over the garden fence? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, and, and that was quite interesting because it, it it meant that um, experienced gardeners are the biggest responsible knowledge, and yeah. I suppose it is you know that they they've been doing it longest. <laughs> Indeed, and I, I suppose now in in like Facebook groups, you've got you know horticultural groups, specialist groups on palms and. You know, you know, trees, and you can click in and join those groups, and you know, share such a wealth of information, you know, um, and and gain so much knowledge um, through yes. through that sort of oh, word that, of mouth that, over the over the internet. Yeah. Well, and that's it. I'm sure now word of mouth will probably not be the number one because people will probably use Google to be the number Indeed. one source of all information. Um, but I still think that you, if you've got, if you can go to a garden centre and ask somebody. It's just got to be the best advice in the world. Most definitely, yeah, yeah. I would, I would hope so. Um, Trevor, you, you you report and you promote horticulture through the uh, the, the GTN um, website, and of course you have your, your printed monthly magazine. But do you do you do a spot of gardening yourself? <laughs> do I do a spot of gardening? Well, yeah. we have we have a, a rather large garden. Um, I wouldn't say I do any gardening particularly, but I do what I have to do. What I'm asked to do in the garden. I'm not. The, I'm not the head gardener. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, but do I have a, 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 a favourite plant? Mm, yes, please. Oh, blimey! Favourite plant. Wow, you've got me there, Chris. Oh, okay. My favourite plant at the moment is a squash. Oh, okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with a squash. Uh, well, and uh, when we grow two varieties of it, we grow uh, a baked potato squash okay. and a mashed potato squash. Okay. And I have to say, they are the most wonderful vegetables. If anybody gets a chance to grow them and eat them, they are just amazing. They're good. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, put those on the on the, on the so, good old shopping list. <laughs> okay. And do you have any favourite? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any favourite gardens at all? You, you, you get, or, or maybe garden centres which have a wonderful outdoor space. I know a lot of garden centres have really nice sort of garden areas. Um, is there any one you can think to spring to mind? Crikey. Well, my favourite garden centre is actually uh, in the north-west coast of Scotland, and it's a garden, little garden centre called Poppies. Okay. Um, in near Oban. Oh, wow. Okay. My favourite 
my favourite garden centre because you sit in the in the uh, coffee shop and you look out over the loch, oh. uh, the mountains in the distance, and it's just amazing. Wow. Tranquil, peaceful, because uh, the garden centre is right down by the loch side. Mm-hmm. Um, Perfect. So that, I would say that, that that's... That's my favourite garden centre location, yes. Yeah, do, yeah. yeah, top of the country Hoppy, and, uh, yeah, top Hoppy's spot. Is over, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, Trevor, we always like to put our, our expert guests on the spot and uh, if you were ever stranded on that desert island, which plant or garden tool would you would you like to be stranded with? Oh, well, gar- garden tool would be my... Um, my trench, is it called a trench digging spade? Oh, yes. Um, yep. It's a very, very long, narrow um, spade mm-hmm. because I use, that, I use that constantly for putting fence posts in, for digging up plants. It's just, it, you know, it's really long and it's really strong. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be, that would be my, my tool. Yeah. And which plant? Well, I think at the moment I'd be quite happy to be stuck with a potato squash because it'd keep it, me well fed. It would. <laughs> and probably grow really well on that. We, we always assume this tropical, like this desert island is quite tropical, so it, they'd grow really well there wouldn't wow. they, as well. I, yeah. they, don't, they don't. Looking at the way they're growing out, so out in our veg plot, I like, can just about see out of my office window. Mm-hmm. They, when they get growing, they do not get growing. <laughs> they get growing. But, but part, I suppose we're lucky because we grow ours on a lot of manure, so we create almost like a hotbed. Ah, right. And, um, if you create a hotbed of horse manure, boy, they do not go. Perfect. Oh, there you go. That's a really good tip for our uh, our dig it customers there. And um, yeah. do you, Trevor, do you you know finally as we're coming to the end of the interview now, do you have any amusing stories or jokes or anecdotes from your your wonderful time working on uh, GTN. Well, I, 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 I suppose an amusing story is that mm. um, a while ago, um, Neil Grant from Ferndale Garden Centre inspired me to start wearing flowery shirts whenever I was doing anything on stage. Okay. And I now only wear flowery shirts. Excellent. And um, so shirts with bold flower patterns on. Mm-hmm. And do you know, I wear them on the train if I'm going down to London or just, mm. just anywhere, everywhere, wherever I am now. It's kind of my become my uniform. Yes. That's... And um, it's surprising how many people come up to you and say, I like this shirt. And, and they smile because you're wearing flowers. Yes. Um, and, and that's just like the power of gardening and the power of flowers. It's just, just wonderful, you know. It's, yeah. it, it cheers people up. It, it certainly uh, does. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I used to actually. I used to work, always wear a sunflower tie when I worked on on the gardening magazines. I was when I was out and about. That was my sort of trademark. Yeah. And ties have just gone out yeah. of fashion these days. Obviously, I can't at a garden centre here, although I'd love to. Um, but you're right. They, they do add. It's your own personality in a way. Is is put on on show and it's it's a really good way of as you say uh, connecting yourself with what with what you 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 know that's your passion yeah. isn't it well and, and 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 we've extended it to the extent where on the third the last day of the trade show glee mm-hmm. we we run floral floral thursday for green fingers and um we encourage as many people as possible at the show to come along wearing floral attire Perfect. and we get everybody together for a big photo opportunity and we set a new world record this year and we raised um, over three thousand pounds for the Greenfingers Gardening Charity as a result. Oh, well done! Um, so, That's... so not not only can you cheer everybody up and and have people walking around with smiles on their faces all day. You can raise money for a good cause as well. So yeah, well that's that's a great way of doing it, isn't it? And uh, yeah, a few bob for a charity in a, in a fun way, which yeah is is to be good. Trevor, it's been an absolute delight chatting to you today on Dig It. For me, it's been really interesting, and hopefully our uh, our dig it listeners will get a bit of an insight on what goes behind the scenes on a on a busy weekly monthly GTN. Well, certainly, I hope the listeners do find if they want to see uh, some of what they do. If they go to uh, GardenTradeNews.co.uk, they'll find the current issue of the weekly email newsletter and links to find the um, the magazine online. Perfect. Oh, you've, you've, you've done the plug for me already. That's lovely. Thank you, Trevor, and thank you for your time today. All right, Chris. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. 
The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.